If you would like to support Book Reviews Kill and gain access to some of our bloopers and unedited episodes, please use the link in our description to join our Patreon. And if you'd like to join in on the conversation, there is a link to our Discord in this episode's description. In addition, there is a link to Audible, will get you a 30-day trial to Audible Premium, as well as two free credits. I love me some audiobooks. What a great way to keep the reading spirit alive when you're driving or doing any other thing that requires the use of your eyes and you can't be reading. Well, thank you very much, Audible. Now you can. If you're interested, click the link below. Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Chad, and you are listening to the Monday Morning Minute. This week in fictional news, in anticipation of the Lord of the Rings TV show, The Rings of Power, Empire Magazine has released three different collectible magazine covers, each one displaying a different race that presumably will be featured in the show. And while this is cool, I think that someone should inform Empire Magazine that no one is purchasing magazines uh, anymore, let alone collecting them. But hey, E for effort and for Empire Magazine, I guess. But they are kind of cool covers, and I'm really looking forward to the show, so I'm going to geek out on them for a second. So we've got the first cover that features the elves, and I think Gladriel, who's looking splendid and younger, way younger, but certainly still rocking her all will love me and despair face. Classic. We have a cover featuring the hobbits, of which there's three of them on there, and while I'll admit that the hobbits, they do look very hobbity, with their barefoot furry feet and all that. If you didn't look closely, you could easily mistake them for a group of homeless children. I'm assuming the dirt and smudges and frayed clothes are alluding to a hard day's working in the garden, but uh, it certainly isn't the cover that's getting me hyped by any means. And like I said, you might just not know it was about Lord of the Rings if you just glanced in passing at it. The last one, though, was really cool, and this one's featuring the dwarves. And, wait for it, a female dwarf on there. And female dwarves have been rather, let's call it, underrepresented in our exposure to dwarves in the Lord of the Rings franchise. So I'm really excited to get to see a little more of the other half of their species. Actually, I don't think it's half. I think some some bit of lore in my brain is telling me that they're pretty rare dwarven women, not just like they stay in under the mountains and in the caves. I think that the race is like 33% women and then 66% men. I think there's like way less. I don't know. I could be wrong on that. If I am, send me an angry email. And this won't be the dwarven women's debut on screen, as I think that there's a few scenes in one of the Hobbit movies where you just see them like running past but I don't think that we get to see any dwarves beyond that, any dwarven women beyond that. I think we just see them like rushing out, but I don't think that those ones have any beards on them. We learn from Gimli that they have beards. In the Two Towers movie, he's discussing with Eowyn, talking about how they look like dwarf men, they have beards, and their close resemblance to dwarf men has led to the belief by many races that there are no dwarf women, uh, and dwarves simply spring from the ground. And then he says, which is of course ridiculous. However, Gimli, that is exactly how the Uruk-hai are seen to be created, in the movies at least, so is it ridiculous? Is it so ridiculous? I don't know. However, I think the books, it was alluded to that the Urukai are being like a crossbred between orcs and goblins. 
uh, and not just pulled out of some primordial magical orcish sludge, which is kind of like Saruman's attempt at a magical filthy petri dish, more of like a magical filthy petri pit. But regardless, I doubt Gimli would very much appreciate the comparison. The Rings of Power release date is September 2nd, 2022, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. As anyone who has listened to this podcast before knows, I'm not an avid TV watcher or anything, but I certainly do love me a good Netflix binge from time to time, and so I'm looking forward to the Rings of Power, certainly. If they're half as good as the Lord of the Rings movies, then it will be an excellent show. You have no doubt noticed at this point in the podcast the lack of the silky smooth voice of my partner in crime and cast, Evan, who is taking some very much deserved time off. He's actually in Europe gallivanting about the countryside, no doubt having a great time. I talked to him just this morning, which was actually this evening because he's living in the future right now, and he said that he was having a great time, very busy, but having a good time. I think he's there for a wedding, so we will miss him, but today I am flying solo. And if uh, you're wondering, that does in fact mean that I can fly the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs, so boom. (laughs) So this week, I've been doing a lot of reading this week and some good watching. You know, I've been lamenting the lack of Evan in my life. It's been so sad. I miss him so. So I've uh, just been drowning myself in books and some shows. And the shows that I've watched was uh, on Netflix. I watched a show called Silent Sea. This show is a Korean show. I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's a little hokey, maybe is the right word. I don't know. So it's kind of nearish future, maybe 50, 60 years into the future of Earth. Water is a thing that is very highly sought after, but very scarce. Everyone is issued by the government these water cards that determines how much water that they can get out of these water dispensing devices every day. There's a moon base that apparently four or five years in the past was abandoned because of some of radioactive explosion, something bad happened up there. Well, a group of scientists and astronauts are assembled to go up to this base to retrieve some samples, and they're all very mysterious. What are these samples? Nobody knows. And they go up there, and, you know, um, all sorts of trials and tribulations break out, uh, not only in their attempt to get to the base, but then once they get to the base, what is this sample? Uh, People start dying, they start discovering, you know, was it in fact radiation that killed everyone there? Uh, And I don't want to reveal anything, so I won't get into it any farther, but if you're looking for a good space adventure with a big element of mystery, I would recommend The Silent Sea. It was pretty fun. I also watched The 3%. I only watched like a season of it, Uh, and it was also pretty fun. It's also in the future. It's more of like a dystopian future. Um, Also, water is very scarce in this, one of the major lacking resources. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just like a appreciate water week for me or something because all the shows that I watched had a major theme of not very much water. In fact, the books that I read, too, which we'll get into here, um, was also a little dystopian future-y here. Uh, So maybe that was just like a theme for me this week. I don't know. It just kind of happened on accident. But in the 3%, water is super scarce, as are all other resources. There's like no green living thing anywhere to be seen. But upon reaching 
the 20th birthday, every person gets the opportunity to attempt the process to see if they pass. And if they do, they get to go to the offshore, which is a land filled with like only the best and the smartest people, uh, has a ton of technology and resources and greenery. Only 3% of people pass, thus the show's name. And it's a pretty fun show. I'm not going to call it a great show by any means. It's kind of got a little bit of a I don't know. I don't want to call it like a Hunger Games theme because the kids aren't necessarily killing each other. Season one, at least, is all about this process where the kids have to go through these series of tests and all of them have deeper meaning, you know, all the people watching them and judging them. And these tests start off from like simple questions that they have to answer correctly or they get eliminated and then they move on to greater and greater, harder and harder trials. And uh, some crazy stuff goes down. So I would say like, you know, Take a little bit of Hunger Games, sprinkle a little bit of Squid Games in there, remove all the water. <laughs> you've got a pretty close uh, rendition of 3%. It was it was good to watch. I wouldn't put it on the top you know, five lists of anything if I was going to recommend shows to you. But if you have watched a lot of other shows, just kind of stumbling about wondering what you should watch, feeling that you've watched all the good stuff out there, give it a shot. You might enjoy it. As far as books that I've been reading, we are doing the Warbreaker in our recap podcast episodes. So I don't want to get into that, but I did read a lot of it. And man, I read a lot of conversation, a lot of blushing, a lot of intrigue. I'm hoping that as I progress farther into the book, even though I am a couple hundred pages, uh, we get a little bit more happening. But uh, we'll go into more depth on that in the podcast here this next week when Evan returns. It's like I have to let my cat out of the room or else he's going to start complaining at me. Pardon the interruption by Kitty Smalls, a.k.a. The Notorious C.A.T. I always name my cats after rappers. And uh, we've had The Notorious C.A.T., who is king of king of the house for sure. Um, in the past, we've had Two Paws, uh, Marshall Meowthers. He was unfortunately carried off by owls. Anyway, I digress. So another book that I referenced earlier when talking about how this week somehow I just accidentally themed hard on the dystopian future survival type books was Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mendel. It's kind of interesting and very unique in the way that it tells its story. It's about a pandemic that hits the earth. This pandemic rapidly kills 99.99% of the population, like very, very quickly. In a matter of days, we go from regular world to almost everyone being dead. And there's a lot of timey-wimeyness in that the story is jumping around to multiple years into the future, and then it goes back before the pandemic kills everybody and tells a bunch of different characters' stories about who they were before, how they coped with it during this crazy and like immediately after this pandemic killing everyone and then many years into the future what they're doing now how they're living the experiences that they've had to survive through in order to still be alive now uh, and it was a very very good book it's a little sad because it is a dystopian future where it begins with you know 99.99 percent of everyone dying but there's an underlying theme of hope and even in life's darkest times, life goes on. It had a real good underlying vibe that was happy and hopeful, even though the actual story was pretty, pretty grim, pretty dark. I always like me some hope. 
Well, we're keeping it short and sweet today here, so without further ado, let's hit the fictional fun fact. Uh, and this one is just really funny. I really enjoyed reading this article about this book that was made. It's called Atlanta Nights. It's a collaborative novel created in 2004 by a group of science fiction and fantasy authors with the express purpose of producing an unpublishably bad book to test whether this publishing firm, Publish America, would still accept it. <laughs> it was accepted. And after the hoax was revealed, the publishing company, of course, withdrew its offer to publish this book that was written for the, sole reason, for the sole purpose of being bad. So the purpose of all the authors getting together to write this book was to test Publish America's claims to be a traditional publisher that would only accept high-quality manuscripts. That was like their tagline. But for the longest time, critics and their readers have claimed that Publish America is actually a vanity press that pays no special attention to the sales potential of the books they publish since most of their revenue comes from the author's uh, rather than the book buyers. And so Publish America had previously made some highly derogatory public remarks about the science fiction and fantasy writers and just their reading community in general because many of their critics came from those communities. So their derogatory remarks influenced and kind of motivated this group of authors to publicly test Publish America's claims. So <laughs> just to be clear here, group of authors set out to make a bad book to test the claims of this publishing company, and man, they had some egg on their face because that book got accepted. Can you imagine that day in the publishing company's office <laughs> that they learned they got, just got punked so hard, like in the worst possible way, like all their credit, all their clout down the drain. I don't know if they were a publicly traded company or not, but if they were, I would hate to see what happened to their stock price that day. Uh, sounds like they got everything that they deserved, probably, and some. I thought that was just a real hoot of a story. So that is the fun fact for today. Next week, we will be returning to our regularly scheduled programming with the return of Evan. And I think that about wraps up our Monday Morning Minute. I hope you all have an excellent day. Thank you so much for joining me on this solo Monday Morning Minute episode. Sticking with me till the very end. It is very much appreciated. I hope you guys all have an excellent beginning to your week and you read some excellent books. Bye everybody.